Good morning, and welcome to what has um, become one of my favorite uh, times at the college. Um, for the last six years, the seniors that have um, selected the speakers, I'm always amazed at how thoughtfully and how well you choose uh, those whom you'd like to hear from uh, to re represent your senior class. Um, this year, um, again, well done. You've chosen to hear from Caleb Smith and Joanna Smith. Um, I'm going to introduce both of them shortly, and then they're going to come up and speak. Uh, Caleb Smith is an art major, spent four years on the catacombs from Nahunta, Georgia. Um, Joanna Smith is a four-year varsity basketball player, majoring in sociology, hometown of Chattanooga. I am short, so they can get along. Please give a warm Scotch welcome to Caleb Smith. I was trying to think of the best way to introduce myself, and I decided on telling you guys uh, something about me that not a lot of people know, um, and that I'm I, like, I'm a really good hypnotist, and I want people to know that. <laughs> and I don't know how to start that conversation, so I'm starting it now. Um, I've I've hypnotized my housemates. You can ask them. Uh, I once heard my friend Annie cry in a Walmart parking lot after I hypnotized her. Um, I <laughs> It's really fun, and it makes me feel like that lady from Get Out who makes Daniel Kaluuya's character sink into the floor. But I'm not at her level. I'm trying to work my way there. Um, yeah, it's a very weird experience if you guys have experienced it before, hypnotic suggestion. Um, someone telling you that you can't open your eyes and then realizing you can't open them. Or it's maybe that you like don't want to open them. It's a weird sensation. But I'm not here just to brag about being good at hypnosis. Although that is very important to me that I get to brag about that. What's more interesting to me are the people that can get hypnotized. Because supposedly not everyone can. I learned some of the basics of hypnosis after stumbling across this video I found on YouTube by someone named Dr. Robert Dean, a hypnotherapist. According to him, the smarter you are, the brighter you are, the more susceptible you are to hypnosis. Intelligent people are easily hypnotized. I'm not sure where Robert got his hypnotherapy license from or how much we should trust him, but if I'm being honest, what he said makes a lot of sense to me. On the surface, it feels like it should be the opposite. Um, we're supposed to be able to guard ourselves with our intelligence, right? Intelligence is supposed to be strength. We're supposed to be able to guard ourselves with how much we know and how well we know it. The longer I live this short life, I realize more and more how wrong that concept is. I think our intellectual tools can so often be easily picked up and used as a weapon against us, even when we don't realize it's happening. The thing is, we are students at Covenant College, and so many of us share a relentless need to understand. This is so often beautiful, but even more often faith-killing. Recently, I've been thinking about my younger self and the ways I prayed and conceived of the Lord. I was less concerned about what could or could not happen, all the little technicalities, and instead, I carried this attitude of expectancy. I remember one night, staring at the sky in the field by my home, praying pretty fervently over something, I don't even remember what, and suddenly seeing a shooting star streak through the sky for the first time. I was overjoyed to know that the Lord was confirming that he had heard my prayers. It was a small gesture, and to anyone else, it would have just been a shooting star, but I knew that it was anything but inconsequential. 
When I was in middle school, I had a radio by my bedside. I debated on whether to share this story. It's kind of embarrassing. So many nights, I would ask the Lord to play a certain song to let me know he was there. I would switch the radio on, and the exact song would be playing. It's almost embarrassing how silly this process was, but I was just a kid. I look back on those memories as ways the Lord met me where I was at, with all my childlike wonder. Other experiences were less pretty. I'll never forget when I was 14 14 years old. I had a pretty harrowing demonic experience, one that ended with me calling out to the Lord and a crazy sense of peace and joy coming over me. I knew in that moment that God was protecting me with an unseeable shield. It wasn't that I just felt like he was protecting me. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was literally a force field around me. It happened, and there wasn't a part of me that had to explain it or argue with anyone. It was just real. And maybe, maybe some of you in the room are uncomfortable by that story, but there are others in this room, I would suggest more than a few, who have their own strange, miraculous experiences that would sound pretty questionable up on the stage. But they happen. Take a look back at your memories. I've noticed something very strange and scary that happens among fellow believers too often, and that's forgetfulness. There have been many times where I'll be talking about something the Lord has done in my life, and suddenly someone will share an unexplainable story from their past that they hadn't thought about in months, maybe even years. Stories of the Lord intervening, angels, healings, a call coming in at just the right time. The thing about miracles is that they don't make sense. They're counterintuitive. They rebel against knowledge and logic. And perhaps hardest for so many of us, they're very hard to prove. What if, in an effort to get things just right, we've actually gotten them wrong? What if we've clad ourselves in an armor of descriptions and explanations to hide from the fact that we are repulsed by a God that is supernatural and above our understanding? Maybe others in this room would disagree, but I found that so many believers in our context don't really believe in miracles anymore. Sure, we'll say they happened, but when was the last time you witnessed one? When was the last time you prayed for one? Instead, I'm afraid we so often bow to the gods of reason in empty, continuous conversation that serves no other purpose than to help us believe that hopefully we're not stupid. Here's the problem. God made us stupid. No matter our intellectual superiority compared to any given neighbor, that upper hand is infinitesimal compared to the mind of our Lord. Maybe then we shouldn't be so quick to brag that we have one more grain of rice in our bowl than the person sitting next to us. At my church, back home, there's an older couple that wouldn't fit in too well in most congregations. By most people's standards, they don't have a lot to give. And outside of the fact that they love Jesus and are so glad that he saved them, I wouldn't say they could boast of a lot of scriptural knowledge or a great deal of worldly expertise. A year ago, they got one of those misleading announcements from a car dealership in the mail, the kind that lets you know you've won a car, only, get, only to get you to the dealership so you can pay a full amount of money for the car that you won. I have no idea how, but they ended up driving the car out of the lot, totally believing that God had sent it to them. They made no payments on this car, and they had it for nearly a year before it was repossessed and drug out of their yard. Their answer was, and I'm not joking, God will send us another car, just like he sent that one. One week later, a friend drops off a van in their front yard for no good reason other than they needed to get rid of it. They weren't surprised. Because they knew God would take care of them. God had come through on a promise, just like he always does. This couple makes me think of the children that Jesus told his disciples to be more like. Sometimes I think Jesus spent more time unteaching his disciples than actually teaching them new things. There is so much for us to unlearn as we walk with our Savior. 
And we have a nasty habit of not leaving things alone and complicating the simple gospel we have received until man's reasoning overshadows God's action. In chapel in the past, (laughs) our faculty have done a dangerous idea series. Covenant, here's a dangerous idea. What if you believe God's just going to take care of you? What if you believe those loans are going to get paid off because God is going to honor your time here? What if you believe there is love for you and that there is a family of believers who are waiting for you to love you as their own? Maybe we're so obsessed with not falling into a name-it-claim-it mentality that we've instead fallen into a don't-even-name-it-and-don't-dare-you-think-you-can-claim-it mindset instead. (laughs) The truth is, people who are name-it-claim-it believers might be a little misguided, but they do tend to trust the Lord for their needs a little better than the people who don't think God is listening and responsive to prayer at all. As a community of gifted minds, know that the enemy is going to target you in the very place that is your gift. Out of all the wise things said to me at the school, I probably think the most about the time Professor K.T. Joseph told me the phrase, we are the most tempted by that which we are the most created for. Let's be humble and admit that we're not so different from the Pharisees, easily hypnotized by the philosophies of this world, philosophies that we are so good at studying and reasoning with. I'd like to close by telling a story about my dear friend and pastor who, within the first couple weeks of helping to birth my church back home, the foundation, found himself in a crisis. Without many options for meeting places in my hometown, this small congregation had begun meeting in a local bar, (laughs) which was not something that your average church people are too fond of in most places, and especially not in small town Nahona, Georgia, southeast Georgia, podunk. (laughs) Community officials soon heard, and they did their best to shut down a church trying to meet so close to the selling of alcohol. Things got controversial really quickly, and the young church was already facing so much ridicule from so many different people. In the middle of a storm of voices and stress, my friend Ashton took one of those night drives and contemplated dropping everything. Will we have a place to meet this Sunday? What if I fail these people? Have I made the right decision? In the middle of these thoughts, he gets an unexpected call from a lady in the congregation. He answers, and the first thing she says is, baby, why are you worrying about that? Tears start forming in his eyes, and all he could ask her is, how did you know? She replies, it is not what I know about the Lord that keeps me going. It's what I don't. My prayer for this community is that we won't learn too much and get too comfortable in our ideas. It would help some of us to know that for every great work the Lord does, there is a theologian out there ready to deny it. The Lord still does shocking things, and brilliant miracles are happening beneath the surface of our perception. We will never see them or know about them if we exclusively seek the explainable. Seek the Lord instead. And pray for fresh eyes. Believe that the Lord is still revealing himself in supernatural and disarming ways. And pray that maybe in his grace, he will disarm you as well. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for giving us chances to talk about you, to be with you, to love on you. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for the things that I don't know about who you are. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I have the honor of introducing our next chapel speaker, uh, Joanna Smith, so you guys give it up for her. (sighs) Hello. (laughs) Um, So allow me to 
start off with a little icebreaker. Um, I remember last year, Chase Waller gave his senior testimony and he started off with this random story. And I thought to myself, I said, if I have that opportunity, I'm gonna do that. So I'm gonna start off with a story. So I was about four um, or five years old and I was asleep, sound asleep in bed. And I shared a room with one of my sisters and I was on the, bunk, on the top bunk. And um, I remember I started to hear a little bit of wrestling and I look up, I, I finally hear like someone like pushing my feet and I look up and two of my sisters, Bethany and Kara, are um, at the foot of my bed and they're like, Joanna, get up. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they didn't waste any time. <laughs> and they were like, Joanna, Satan is in you and you need to repent. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? And they're like, you need, they're just like, keep saying it over there, like the devil is in your spirit and you sense him. And one of my other, I think it was Cara, she starts to, you know, cook with hot grease and she's like, mm-hmm, and you're going to burn in hell for what you've done. And I'm like, uh, like, I'm like crying at this point. And they're like, say the prayer right now, say it. And I'm like, okay. So I, uh, they uh, pushed me into the kingdom, if you will. And um, I remember my parents got me this creepy stuffed animal that sang the Jesus Loves Me song over and over again, almost as traumatic as that moment as <laughs> my sisters having me say that prayer. But I would also like to say I, I never felt sure about that moment that I was ushered into the kingdom, so I did rededicate my life to Christ. So <laughs> I, am, I am a Christian. I had made that choice. Yes, thank you. That's good, that's good. Yeah, that's what, that's what we do in pastor's families. Um, we force beat each other with the Bible and the word of God. Um, so, yeah. Um, also, shout out to my teammates who are here. Um, for my housemates who are here as well. Um, to my teammates, um, this is dedicated to you all. Um, a lot of the lessons that I have learned in my time here, I have learned via them. Um, and through the things that they have done to show me who Jesus is. So um, I'm going to share my story of what it's been like at Covenant. Um, and I'll be honest, um, I've learned about that I was going to do a senior testimony for a while now, and uh, I started to dread it. I did not want to do this anymore. Um, my anxiety and in my quest, quest for perfection I was like, I'm just not gonna do a good job. And it was because of a lot of prayers from people here, a lot of text messages, a lot of uh, motivation with my housemates, <laughs> even last night, um, that I can stand here today. So I'm not standing here with my own strength. I'm standing on the shoulders of other people. Um, and so, but this is also a story of who God is, not who I am. So. Um, I did not want to come to Covenant, not one bit, um, and long story short, I felt the Lord was leading me here, um, and when I came here my freshman year, I was severely depressed, angry, and disillusioned, and, um, God 
was a mustard seed. That's how much I knew about him, if that. Um, God was very small, and my world was incredibly big. And um, I remember the summer before coming my freshman year, um, we had to read a book for the basketball team that talked about um, letting go of everything that you ever hoped for, whatever goals and aspirations that you have, and giving that to the Lord and leaving it there, and trusting that his plan is bigger, better, and bolder than yours. And I remember with my mustard seed idea of God, and in an emotional moment, I prayed a prayer that kind of went like this. It was like, Lord, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do, but I want to trust you. And I give you everything um, that I ever hoped for. And um, I just want to say that if you're a child of God, no matter how small you think your prayers are, or where you think you are in your state of your walk with Jesus, he hears every prayer. And he is a jealous God. And no matter what, he is going to find a way to claim you and for him to be king in your life. And I did, he was not king in mine. I was a Christian, but he was not king. And so I came to, with all this luggage behind me, I came to covenant with this prayer, with my mustard seed idea of God, I came. And um, over the course of my freshman year, um, my depression got worse, my anxiety got worse. I remember because of my anxiety, I would have severe stomach pain. And I remember there are many times when I worked for the financial aid office, rip. <laughs> Woo! Mm-mm. That was a time. Um, when I would be down in, the, in Probasco, I would lay on the ground for about 30 minutes to try and slow down the cramping of my stomach because my anxiety would get so severe. And um, over the course of the year, that got worse. My depression got worse. My, my everything was getting worse. And um, so in my quest to try and figure out how to make my anxiety and depression decrease, I tried to go to other things. Um, one of them was uh, alcohol for a while. And um, that didn't help. <laughs> and um, by the time I got to the summer, um, I was so depressed that I could barely get out of bed. And I lost uh, around five to 10 pounds roughly in there. And that is when I heard the voice of the Lord. I wasn't looking for him. I was angry with him, as a matter of fact. I was like, I'm, I'm a pastor's child. I don't, there, there hasn't been this crazy trauma in my life that, it, that I should be burdened so badly. Um, but I'd been struggling with depression since my junior year of high school. So this was, this was a long, long time battle. Um, and I didn't literally hear the voice of the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord in um, a letter that my mom wrote to me, and she posted it on my mirror in my room so that I could see it every morning, uh, just telling me how much she loved me and how much she was proud of me, but how much the Lord loved me even more. 
um, I heard the voice of the Lord and um, uh, the devotional that my dad gave me, um, New Morning Mercies, which is really popular now. Um, I heard it then. I heard it in the sunrises and in the sunsets. I heard his voice then. I heard it in the, in the hot afternoons um, and in the cool evenings. That's when I heard his voice. I heard it through people, but I also heard it through nature. And I felt him pushing, fighting, pressing me during that time, and I felt him loving me. And you would think that after that moment, um, after those moments that I would be like on fire for God coming back to school, and I was not. Um, I had a real encounter with the Lord that transformed part of me, but my love for the Lord was very conditional. He still wasn't king. Um, and I wrestled with how much, how much can I give to the Lord and keep some for, my, for myself? Um, how much, if I trust him, if I give everything to him, will he hurt me? Like, will I actually, like, suffer even more than what I'm feeling right now? And it was almost like this, if I could paint a picture of it, it was almost like I was right next to the seat that the Lord had set exactly for me at his table. And I was, like, standing right next to it, like, looking at it. Like, I don't know if I want to sit and eat at this table just yet, but I do know that seat is for me. And so I, I, I wrestled with that. And I remember um, over the course of my sophomore year, things hadn't really changed all that much. I knew more of who God was, but he still wasn't, he still wasn't everything. I hadn't found him. And uh, a lot of things happened that year um, that were really disappointing, really depressing. And I remember I was, towards the end of our basketball season, I was in a state of just like almost, almost panic. I was so discontent with my life. Um, and I was so unhappy. And would you, it's so interesting that, would you have it, it was actually seeing somebody else's suffering that caused me to realize how big God was. Um, one of our teammates, um, their father passed away suddenly in the middle of the year, in the middle of the season. And um, that was really, really hard for all of us, but especially for her, he was her best friend. And I remember just thinking like, texting my dad and telling him how much I loved him because life is so short, you never know. And um, I remember she, she went away for the funeral and then she came back. And I was expecting her to be in like a severe state of depression. Like, we, I, like I think we were all prepared for, um, to really just be there for her as much as possible, which we were anyways. But what I saw instead was her declare that God was king of her life. That's what I saw instead. I saw her pursue the Lord, chase him. 
she went to know him and love him more and more and more. And all of a sudden, in my mind, as I looked at that seat at the table, and I was wondering if that was something, a place that I want to sit at, should I sit down? I don't know. As I'm questioning that, when I saw someone who was going through such pain declare the Lord king of her life, that was all I needed. And it wasn't necessarily right away, but by the end of my sophomore year, I sat down in that seat, exhausted by the striving, the pushing that I had tried to achieve to know him better, to be a better person or whatever, to help with my depression or anxiety or whatever the case may be, I sat down and I started to eat and feast with my savior and I was able to declare him king. And I say that because I, I tell that story and I tell my story of what it's been like being at Covenant because I know for a lot of you here it has not been easy whatever level of suffering you've been through, whatever trauma you've been through in your life, it has been hard. It's hard to be here with people who are in the same phase of life as you, going through the same like emotional like turbulence <laughs> as you. Um, and while it, Covenant has brought so much joy, it also has brought its fair share of pain. And there have been times where I have walked into walked onto campus as many of you have, fake happy. Um, this is the last place I've wanted to be many times. My depression and my anxiety have kept me in bed and it's been dragging my feet here um, because I have to go to class. <laughs> this is probably one of the biggest reasons why I showed up some days. I wanted to graduate. <laughs> um, yes, I know you love that, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that has been, and it's not been easy coming here every day. Um, and I've come here lugging behind me all of my burdens. And I know many of you, if not all of you, do the same. Um, but there's also been moments where I've come with my suffering in tow, with my depression weighing me down and my anxiety weighing me down. And I have experienced the joy of the Lord. I've experienced peace in the midst of pain. I've experienced laughter and with great sadness. Um, and there are times when you'll see me running around screaming, which I know all of you have seen. I'm sorry. But you see me hooting and hollering with whoever. And, that's a, and sometimes that actually is how I feel. I actually am experiencing joy, even though at times I don't. I'm not feeling that emotionally or deep down. And I know that is because God is king. And I know that's because he's king of my life. And there are times where I, rush, where I wrestle with him for control. He's not always king every moment of every day. But I know that he's someone that I can turn to who will be exactly what I need, a deep-seated want for love, for acceptance, that deep-seated feelings of 
of joy, of peace, of strength when I have none. I know that it's because God is with me. And so um, I'll, I'll end with this. I remember uh, Pharaoh Kondo uh, mentioned this verse to me um, earlier this year. And I believe it's in Psalm 18, verse 19, I believe. And it says that he brought me out into a broad place. And he did this because he delighted in me. That, that idea of delight, you know, I, I've wrestled with my self-esteem, self-confidence, all those things, and to know that Jesus delights in me, it's almost too much to bear. It's almost too much to handle that the God of the universe delights in me, little old me. But that brings me so much joy to know that I'm accepted no matter what that that seat at his table was for me. It wasn't for anybody else. He declared that it was mine. And so to sit there and to sit and feast with my Savior is one of the greatest things. And so my prayer for you guys as we continue your college careers here, that you would declare him to be king of your life. He won't fail you. He won't make your, your suffering worse. He'll, he'll give you those fights. He'll fight for you. He'll love you more, love you deeper than anyone or anything could ever do or imagine for you. And that has been one of the greatest things I've learned by coming here. And I know I wouldn't have learned that if I went to another school. I know that with my mustard seed idea of Jesus, I would have gone to another place and it would have been gone. So um, thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, and I pray that the Lord would be declared king by all of us here and that we can all say together, worthy is the lamb who was slain, that he receives power and glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Um, God, thank you so much for all the many blessings that you have given us. Lord God, may we May we declare you king of our lives, as you are king of this universe, as you are Lord. Lord, push us and press us to know you more, to want you more. Um, thank you uh, for the many blessings that you have given us. Thank you for the joy that you give us. Um, I pray that we would go away from this place um, encouraged, uplifted. Lord Father, um, I pray that you would continue to change us and mold you into yourself. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.